It's Easter Sunday, and we need to take as many opportunities as we can to say he is risen, he is risen indeed. So here's what I'd like to do. We'll do it three times. The first time when we say it, say it as if it's the first time it, you realize it yourself. And then the second time we say it, say it to your friends. You want to tell your friends. The third time, let's tell the whole world. Are you ready? First time to yourself, second time to your friends, third time to the whole world. He is risen. He is risen he, is risen. he is risen. He is risen. Let's not wait till next Easter. How about that? Today's reading from the Word of God comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 29. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screens behind me or listen as I read the passage for us. Once again, that's John chapter 20, verses 1 through 29. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. And at that time, the multitude of children in our congregation are invited to join uh, kids' crew. I almost got it. Kids' crew through that door right over there. Hear the word of the Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So, She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight, straight in into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? 
thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. We're here. We're doing Easter. Christ is risen. You have no, long, no idea how long I have waited to... Hear you say that back to me. I'll talk about that in a minute. My name is Bryn. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to be worshiping with you this Easter morning. Like we do every Sunday morning, we want to take a moment and just be silent before God and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us uniquely with whatever we brought into the room this morning. And so I'd love for you to just be quiet with me for a moment while the rest of our kids are processing downstairs to our new and improved kids crew space too. Let's thank Pastor Ethan for that. So we'll just be quiet for a moment, and then I'll open us in a word of prayer after a moment.
Father, Son, and Spirit, we know that we are entering into your presence today. And we thank you that you have invited us to be part of your story. We thank you that you have drawn us to yourself, and we ask this morning that you would teach us more and more about what it looks like to be resurrection people, not just when we come to church, not just on Easter, but every day, every moment that we get to live into eternity now. We thank you for that good news that gospel that we experience in your story and every day when we're living with you. And we love you. We offer this time to you as an act of worship. And we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, I always get a little nostalgic during this time of year. It was during Lent, 12 years ago, that we started to dream about what it could look like for us to start a brand new church here on the North Shore. Our very first gathering as a church was a Maundy Thursday potluck, just like some of us uh, got to experience a couple days ago. Who was at a Maundy Thursday potluck? Those were a lot of fun. So uh, it, was, it was 12 years ago. We had a Maundy Thursday potluck with 11 members of High Rock Church that was meeting in Arlington at the time. We gathered around a table in Wenham to reflect and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we made the same crafts that year that we made this year. So when you walked in, you might have seen a bunch of footprints all over the walls uh, with, with stories written on them. And what we did during our Monday Thursday potlucks, if you weren't there, was we, we wrote down a way that someone has washed our feet recently, like Jesus washes our feet and serves us, or one way that we hope to wash someone else's feet. So we did that 12 years ago at that Monday Thursday potluck, and at some point during the night, someone said, so I heard that, that High Rock might be thinking about starting a new church on the North Shore. What if we started a new church here? Apparently, God had that same idea. Because a year later, our founding pastor, Aaron, had been blessed to go off and plant a new church. Our little dinner party had multiplied by six, and we were weeks away from hosting our first ever worship service as a little fledgling church. We used to rent spaces from different places uh, all around Salem. We rented for almost a decade. We started at the Salem YMCA. We rented different church sanctuaries, elementary schools. And it worked, and it was exciting, but we constantly dreamed about one day when we would be able to, to host an Easter service in our own sanctuary that we could call home. We prayed and prayed and prayed for that day. Every year we would set up everything that we had as a church. We would set it up in a different space and we'd unpack it. Some of us were there at this salt and stall Easter. We'd unpack it and then at the end of the day we'd have to repack it up and put it back in storage. And every year we would say, next year, next year is going to be the year that we will be in our own church home for Easter. And it looked like all of our dreams were finally coming true when the Dane Street congregation who was meeting here joined us and generously deeded their building to us. Our first Sunday together was March 8th, 2020. That would be the year that we would finally have Easter in our own space. And then COVID shut us down for a year and a half. Fast forward to last year, 2022. This would be the year, 10 years of dreaming and, and praying and planting and planning our first Easter service in our own church building. And I was beside myself with excitement. And during our staff meeting a few days before Easter, I said, 10 years, we're finally here. 10 years of, of praying and hoping it's finally happening. I can't wait to celebrate Easter in our own building that we can call home. And then I added, unless something unforeseen happens, why would I say that? Why, why would anyone say that? Never, ever say that sentence. And we all laughed and laughed at my hilarious joke. And the next day, I tested positive for COVID. 
and I gave it to half of our staff. We all tested positive for COVID. So I guess something unforeseen happened. This year at staff meeting, I said, I can't wait for Easter this year. Everything unforeseen is going to happen. Like I could trick God into doing the opposite. <laughs> I had been waiting 10 years, 10 years for this one thing. And instead of being able to join our community for worship that Sunday, I tuned in online in my pajamas. This is my Easter brunch, cheesecake and cough drops, which is a combination I do not recommend. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I am so glad that we have our live stream as a tool for when we're sick or when we're traveling. Online worship kept us together for that year and a half and we had to be apart. And some of you are watching online because it's truly the best option for you right now this Sunday, and I get it, and I've been there. But we know, right, that online stuff just isn't the same as experiencing something in person. Last year, I couldn't hug our community. I, I couldn't ask how everyone was doing. I couldn't look people in the eyes and say, Christ is risen. risen I couldn't hear it said back. I, I couldn't join my voice in musical worship. I couldn't taste the cotton candy. I couldn't feel seen and known like I could if I was here. Some things just have to be seen or heard or experienced in person. And don't we know it? I mean, there's something to, to being able to say, I was there. I was in the room for that. Now, don't get me wrong. Virtual Easter last year was wonderful. And I hope it's wonderful this year for those who are tuning in online. Pastor Angie wrote really, really quickly and preached in an incredible sermon. And it was the word that we needed to hear. The music was joyful. Pastor Ethan baptized a baby. I, didn't, I wasn't sad about missing the hail at the after party last year. <laughs> But the, the service was a joy to watch, but it wasn't the same as if I got to, to be here, to experience it in real life. And that is true for the resurrection, too. Every Easter, so many of us come to church and we shout those words, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And lots of us, we believe that. We believe that this right here is the gospel, the, the good news, the truth that Jesus died and rose again to set the whole world right for all eternity. And at the same time, sometimes we also hear that joyful good news and we think, well, that's a nice tradition. It's a quaint story, but I've never really seen that. I've never heard that or experienced that. I've never met someone who's risen from the dead. Christ is risen? I don't know. Some things just have to be seen or heard or experienced in person to be believed. And if we doubt the resurrection story, we are far from the first ones to do that. So if you brought your Bibles, I'd invite you to open up with me to the Gospel of John. We've actually been spending the entire year going through John's Gospel and talking about the story of Jesus. And now we get to chapter 20, the good news part of this story to the passage that Norm read for us today. So our story takes place with a small group of Christ followers, and they are huddled away in hiding. A week ago, Palm Sunday, joyful crowds filled the streets as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and, and he was hailed as their Messiah, the one who would usher in their kingdom for them. But now, a week later, Jesus' disciples have seen their friend, their Lord, the man that they had given their lives for. They've seen him whipped and beaten, arrested, led off to be crucified just like all the other failed messiahs before him. 
Losing their friend and their leader is sad enough, but now the disciples are going to face another big problem because their leader has just been killed by Rome as an insurrectionist against Rome, and everyone knows what happens to people who follow insurrectionists against Rome. They pay for it, sometimes with their own blood. So Jesus' followers, they do what any of us might. They lock the doors, and they draw the shades, and they huddle in a corner, they hide away, and they hope that the whole thing blows over and fast. And just at the height of their fear, something happens. It's a twist that none of them ever expected. Jesus shows up in the room that they are hiding in. He just, he's just there all of a sudden. There's no knocking, no fanfare, no parade, no blazes of fire. He doesn't come banging down the walls with a hammer. He's just there, as if he was always there with them. This is the resurrected Jesus in the flesh, living, breathing proof. Proof with a heartbeat that everything he said and was and is and will be true for all eternity. And then he says something interesting. He says, peace, peace. Well, that word peace, that wasn't really the interesting part. That was a common greeting. You would say it when you walked into any room. Peace, he says twice. And I imagine him looking all of the disciples square in the eye and he says, peace peace. As if to say, no, really, I mean that word. That peace that I promise you, that good news that you have been waiting your entire life for, it's come. It's true. It's right here, and you get to see it in me. This is good news in the flesh. This, in Jesus, is the gospel with skin on. What would you do If you were one of the disciples in that moment, what would you do if you were there? What would you do if that thing that you always wanted to happen but never believed actually could happen, what if it actually happened right in front of you? What would you do? I remember one Easter Sunday years ago, there was a four-year-old girl in our church, and she was imagining with her dad what she would do if she saw the resurrected Lord right in front of her. And her dad asked her, so if if we were there, what do you think that we would do? And, And she said, I think... We would hug God, and we would laugh and dance until the sun came up. And I have to imagine that's what the disciples did. I have to believe that when they realized what was happening, if they could actually comprehend what was happening, that they bear-hugged Jesus, and they laughed and they danced until the sun came up. This, This was all of their dreams coming true. This was everything that they had been waiting for in the person of Jesus the real, live, breathing, in-the-flesh person of Jesus. They got to see everything that they had ever dreamed of happening right in front of them up close. All the disciples, except for Thomas. Thomas. There's one disciple in the story who missed the moment. And it wasn't that that Thomas wasn't excited about Jesus' resurrection. It was just that he didn't know about it. He wasn't there. We don't really know where Thomas was when Jesus showed up to the other disciples. Maybe he was grabbing a carton of milk. Maybe he was just feeling lazy or he got busy. Who knows? But I think that the most likely reason that Thomas wasn't with the disciples, I think he was disappointed. I think he was feeling disillusioned with God. And that's what we sometimes do when we're feeling disappointed or disillusioned with God or with God's community. When this thing that you had banked your whole life on just doesn't seem to be working out after all. We stop showing up, we fall off the radar, we slip out the back door and hope that no one notices that we're not there. 
We don't know where Thomas was, but we know what Thomas missed. Eventually, Thomas does darken the disciples' door again. Jesus has, has stepped out when he, when he shows up. And so all the other disciples, they rush at Thomas, and they're all bundles of joy. And they say, Thomas, good news. Jesus is alive. He's raised from the dead. Come hug and laugh and dance with us. It's good news, right? But Thomas, he just gives them the side eye. Jesus is alive? I don't know. I'll believe that when I see it. I'll believe that when I can see his scars, when I can touch them myself. I want to see this so-called good news in the flesh. And right in the middle of that doubt, right in the middle of all Thomas's disillusionment, Jesus shows up again to the, the disciples and to Thomas, and he looks Thomas square in the eye, and he holds out his hands, and he shows him his scars, and then he says that word again, peace, peace to you, Thomas. It's like he's saying, even when you doubt it, the gospel is right here in me with skin on. Go ahead. You can touch it. And Thomas touches Jesus, and he believes, and he has nothing left to say but my Lord and my God. In the end, it wasn't just words that convinced Thomas that his Lord was alive and well. It was Christ's living body right there with him, complete with scars from the cross to prove that he had been on it. And I have to imagine that after all of that, they hugged and they laughed and they danced until the sun came up. They say that Thomas was a twin. We don't know a lot about who Thomas's twin was. I think he was Thomas's twin's twin. <laughs> Thanks, Ethan. <laughs> But some have speculated, thanks Norm, uh, some have speculated that maybe Thomas was called a twin because he was supposed to be our twin. He was a, the disciple that we would look like if we were to look in the mirror. We have to see good news in action. We have to experience it for ourselves. We have to witness with our own eyes and our own ears and hands that, that dead things really can come back to life. That in the face of what seems hopeless, there is still hope. That God has and is and will be restoring all things to the way that God created and intended them to be all along. Jesus knows this. He knows that as people, we have to experience things for ourselves. That the only way to convince the world of God's good news is to show the world God's own dead body alive again. And so he tells the disciples that they are supposed to go do that. That they are supposed to be that. That they are supposed to show the world good news with skin on. They're supposed to go to a world that's huddled away in fear behind locked doors and drawn shades, protecting whatever they can in this life. Jesus says, go. Go be my good news in the flesh. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you out to go do that work. Show them what the resurrection feels like and looks like. Show them what it sounds like. Live the good news right in front of them. And then Jesus breathes on them. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to them, God's own spirit, because God's body needs to be animated by God's life. Now they're not just in Christ's presence. Christ's presence is in them. And then, then he sends them out on their mission field. But it isn't where we might imagine that they would be sent. He just sends them back to where they already came from, back to their home, back to Jerusalem. He tells them to, to bring his body and his spirit there, to, to those who are there huddled and afraid in their own homes and neighborhoods and office buildings, wherever they already are and live 
and work. That's where they're supposed to be sent out as God's disciples to be the gospel with skin on. Now, it's interesting what Jesus doesn't say to his disciples in that moment. He doesn't say, go prove, go convince, go convert, go debate, go argue. Instead, he just says, show up to the world. Show up, show what my work looks like. Show what my broken body and my shed blood and resurrected life looks like in the flesh. He tells them and, to, and us to let all the old things, all the old ways, all the old sins and shame and broken systems to die with those things on the cross so that we can be raised totally new again as people who are kinder and gentler and more compassionate than we were before, people who actually look like who Christ is. And then to join him in breathing new life into the world, into all of the dead places that we see all over our world, into the broken hearts and the broken relationships and broken systems, just like he's done for us. And so his disciples do join him. They go back to the same old cul-de-sacs that they lived on before, and they commute on the same old trains that they commuted on before to the same old offices and schools and grocery stores. And in those places where they already are, they start living out Jesus' teachings. And they take seriously what he calls them to do. They go straight into the parts of their cities that have broken families and broken bottles. And they work to right broken systems and to stand up for the marginalized and to set the captives free. Those early followers of Christ, they, they demanded that men treat women with respect when all of society said that women were second-class citizens. Christians said that women were clothed with strength and dignity. When Roman parents in that society left unwanted children in the fields to die because of their gender or a deformity or a disability, those early followers of Christ, they scooped them up. They would find them and they, they would adopt them and they'd care for them. The rest of society said that these children were worthless, but Christians said they were bought with a price. When pandemics took thousands of lives in Roman society, Romans fled the city to protect themselves from what they believed to be the anger of the gods. Everyone left. Nobles, doctors, priests, statesmen. Those early followers of Christ, they ran toward the sick to protect them and bring healing to them. The rest of society said, leave your neighbors, save yourself. But Christians said, love your neighbors as yourself. They became good news in the flesh the gospel with skin on. They were good news for everyone that they met, whether they believed in Jesus or not. As a pastor, I get to spend a lot of time with people, and I hear uh, about a lot of people's different faith journeys. And more often than not, when someone tells me about their decision to follow Jesus, that moment when they decided, this is the life for me, you know what finally convinced them? It's, it's not usually facts or realizations, although those things matter and they do come up and they help. But almost always, people talk about Christians that they met. They talk about Christ followers who loved them or forgave them or welcomed them. They talk about Christ followers who invited them to church or just to dinner or to participate in something like a serve Sunday. They talk about the, the Christ followers that they met who dedicated themselves to, to causes that were larger than themselves. People who fed the hungry and clothed the naked and made room in their lives to stand up for the marginalized. They talk about the Christ followers who had backbones, who had experienced real pain or real tragedy in their lives, but they were facing those things authentically and honestly and bravely with a kind of grit and hope that they hoped to also one day have. More than anything else, when I talk to people about their decision to follow Christ, 
They point to the Christ followers that they met. They point to the good news that they met with skin on. Rarely did those early Christians try to prove that the resurrection actually happened. And I'm sure that they did that sometimes, and I'm sure sometimes that worked. But more often than not, they just lived the good news right in their own neighborhoods. It became this kind of living, breathing, life-giving, system-confronting, empire-subverting good news with skin on. And so those early Christians, they passed on the faith to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation, and now it's our turn, thousands of years later. The body of Christ, full of his Holy Spirit, alive and well, scars to prove it, to invite people into the experience of resurrection just like we've been invited into because we have seen it, we've heard it, we've experienced it for ourselves. Because in our day, we still have our own evils and, and injustices, our own sin and shame. We could all make those lists, right? And the promise is that one day Jesus will come in and definitively confront all of those things once and for all, that he will finish the work that he began on the cross and all things will be set right. But in the meantime, Jesus has invited us to be part of that operation, to serve, to invite, to wash feet, to heal lepers, to set captives free, just as he's done for us. Because no matter what we face in this life, no matter what we face in this life, death and sickness and crying and pain, to those things, peace has come at last in the person of Jesus. Peace. Because his good news wins the day. So what can this look like for you moving forward? What does it look like to be resurrection people here and now? To let this truth move past just Easter Sunday or Sunday mornings and into how we live every day. Maybe you are like the disciples and you have had this experience of the risen Lord and it's changed you and it's changing you. And maybe now in this moment, Jesus is inviting you to show what that resurrection, resurrected body looks like to the rest of the world so that everyone else can see it and experience it in and through you. Or maybe you're with Thomas and you're just not so sure yet. And if that's you, I am so glad that you are here. I'm so glad that you're asking questions and you're showing up. And maybe God is inviting you to take a next step to join his disciples in experiencing the resurrected life, to see the resurrected Lord for yourself, and to see that the good news can actually change things. It can actually change your life. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, the invitation is to join in. It's to be part of this story, not just to believe, but to see and experience and touch and then go out and be the gospel with skin on. Good news for a world so desperately in need of good news. And as we see one another, as we see one another bearing the scars of his death and breathing the breath of his new life, we can actually look one another in the eye and say, peace, peace to you. It has come at last and we can hug and we can laugh and we can dance until the sun comes up because Christ has risen. He has risen, risen indeed. indeed. Let's pray. God, sometimes I am at a loss for words for the good news, the hope that you have given us. It is the best news we can imagine. And we thank you that you have invited us to experience it with each other. We thank you that you have invited us to experience it with the 
the whole crowd of witnesses that have been proclaiming your truth for thousands and thousands of years and that we get to proclaim it again to show it. And we pray that as we walk out of church this morning, that we would be resurrection people, that in us people would see your life and that that would give them a kind of curiosity that they've never experienced before to see what that life might look like in them. And if that's us too, if we need to experience it, we ask that you would meet us. We ask that that you would show us yourself and that we would recognize you as the risen Lord in our lives. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.